Hello and welcome to another episode of Blankets and Boundaries. I'm your guide, Duke Novak, and today's episode is going to be about the book, The Power of Showing Up, How Parental Presence Shapes Who Our Kids Become and How Their Brains Get Wired. It's written by Daniel J. Siegel, MD, and Tina Payne Bryson, PhD. Uh, these two have teamed up before in the New York Times bestselling book, The Whole Brain Child. So without further ado, uh, let's get started. So uh, Daniel J. Siegel is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, the founding co-director of the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center and the executive director of the Mindsight Institute. He's a graduate of Harvard Medical School. Uh, Dr. Siegel is the author of several books, a uh, very popular author at, at the moment, uh, including New York Times bestsellers Aware and Brainstorm, and is co-author with Tina Payne Bryson of The Whole Brain Child, No Drama Discipline, and The Yes Brain. Tina Payne Bryson, PhD, is the founder and executive director of the Center for Connection, a multidisciplinary clinical practice and of the Play Strong Institute, a center devoted to the study, research, and practice of play therapy through a neurodevelopmental lens. She is a licensed clinical social worker providing pediatric and adolescent psychotherapy and parenting consultations. Dr. Bryson keynotes conferences and conducts workshops for parents, educators, clinicians, and industry leaders around the world. She earned her PhD from the University of Southern California and lives in Los Angeles with her husband and three children. So that's a little bit about these two. Um, these uh, two authors are pretty popular. Um, they had a New York Times bestseller. They've worked together. Um, Daniel Siegel has this kind of neurobiological background. Um, he talks a lot about mindfulness. I've heard him speak before when I was working in uh, Los Angeles, California as an educator. Um, he really has a way of blending a lot of these um, ideas together and communicate very, you know, pal palpably to folks who are parents and uh, practitioners, uh, therapists, um, things of that nature. And Tina Payne Bryson, I'm not as familiar with, but I do know that she works a lot with Daniel Siegel and uh, seems to have a, a background uh, that is uh, worth paying attention to as well. She's, uh, and these books that they've written together are, are just wonderful books. So again, a lot of these episodes, I'm picking the people that I, I really admire <laughs> Um, their work and, and what they have to say about caring for kids. And, you know, this book is about what it means to show up. Um, the little tagline of this podcast is being present with our children. And that's kind of what they're explaining here is, is showing up is, is kind of being present, being available. Um, and they break it down into these four S's that I'm going to get to here in a second. Um, but the first line of the book, chapter one, it says, one message we deliver over and over whenever we write about parenting 
is that you don't have to be perfect. Nobody is. There's no such thing as flawless child rearing. So right off the bat, he's putting us at ease. Uh, they're putting us at ease, the two of them, that we don't have to be perfect parents. We, we just try to be good enough. Um, good enough parents. That is a, you know, a, a saying that D.W. Winnicott made popular, this idea of being good enough. Um, and hopefully not being, uh, not being a parent who's not good enough is how I, I guess I should put that. Um, but that we, we strive to be good enough. And, but oftentimes we are, are striving for this perfection, especially in this, you know, this country. I'm not too familiar with other countries, but I know in this country, we, uh, really try to be perfect. And unfortunately we turn things like mindfulness, um, parenting, uh, yoga. We turn these, um, these practices and these theories and these ideas and we use them in, in a way just to, you know, enable our perfectionism. We think if we can just be the perfect mindful meditator, perfect yoga practitioner, the perfect parent that we will somehow, you know, reach this, uh, pinnacle, uh, of enlightenment. I, I don't even know um, what the, the aim is. Um, but it's, it's something in this country's DNA that most young kids are taught to, you know, strive for perfection. Um, and parents, uh, kind of our culprits at creating that sort of culture, something usually not even knowingly, um, in their kids. I, I was, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a, a product of that. Um, I don't know if it's not just parents, you know, but these kids, we grow up in this culture of America, um, and our role models are those famous, well, you know, what appear to be almost perfect people that we look up to and we strive after. Um, and, our, and a lot of parents just want their kids to be successful uh, or the best at whether it be athletics or the arts or become a CEO and uh, forget that some kids just may just want to be happy in their life or at peace. Um, but this is, you know, they decided to kick off their book right off the bat by saying, slow down, nobody's perfect and you don't have to be perfect. That's not the point. And then they describe uh, what showing up looks like and they, they break it down into these four S's. Um, the first S being safe so that the child feels protected and sheltered from harm. The second S is seen. They know you care about them and pay attention to them. The third one is soothed. They know you'll be there for them when they're hurting. And four, secure. Based on the other S's, they trust you to predictably help them feel at home in the world and then learn to help themselves feel safe, seen, and soothed. So these are the four S's. We're going to go one by one. 
uh, as we begin breaking down this book, The Power of Showing Up. The first S is for safe. Um, and in, they, they say here that an absolute requirement for feeling secure is to feel safe. The kids feel safe when they feel protected physically, emotionally, and relationally. They need to feel and know that they're safe. I worked at a school, um, and the, the name of the school was Safe Haven. And I always had this thought in my head, what, what do they mean by that? What is safety for a child? What, what does it mean for a child to feel safe? Well, physically, we can kind of understand that they, there's no imminent threats or you will protect them if, if there is a threat that comes after them um, physically. But emotionally safe, how do we make kids feel emotionally safe or relationally safe? And of course, we are going to make mistakes. Um, we're not going to be perfect and we're going to slip up. We might say something that hurts their feelings or they may say something that hurts your feelings. But what they um, really focus on here is the ability to repair. So if that were to happen and, and those mistakes were to happen, that you, you quickly uh, repair the relationship. This reminds me of restorative justice, really. Because uh, the the idea behind restorative justice is to restore the relationship, to repair it. And what is that going to take from both sides in order for that to happen? And And they're also kind of explaining that that makes the child feel emotionally safe. So even if there is a mistake or harsh words are spoken, that they understand that it'll be repaired and that they the people in the relationship still love each other and... There is a um, motivation to make things right again. Um, that's the idea even behind like restorative justice. Um, and that um, knowing uh, from the child's perspective that even if I make a mistake, we're going we're gonna to work through it. We're going to make things right again. We're going to repair. And I know that person still loves me, even though that, that mistake may have happened. So that's kind of an emotional safety and relational type of safety for kids to feel. And, you know, when I work in a school, those, I have to think about all those things. Do the kids feel physically safe? Do they feel emotionally safe? And do they feel relationally safe? And again, this idea of restorative justice, you know, it's big in education right now. I believe they're trying to create that type of emotional and relational safety that even when things fall apart, they know that there'll be some repair and, and things will be put right um, between whoever the, you know, the issue may be between that people will take the time and effort to repair the relationship. If, uh, if an errors or a mistake or harsh words have been shared. Now, how often does this happen and how successful are these restorative practice um, initiatives? I'm not sure. Um, the school I work at, I, I think, has ways to go in creating that type of culture and creating that type of safety 
that the kids um, and and staff um, can feel. And once that safety, that sense of safety is in place, physical, emotional, and relational, and, and some of the fear um, takes a takes a back seat, then I think real creativity and real understanding and real um, I don't know passions can start to start to emanate throughout the school building, and that's when a, the culture becomes alive and the people. Once they feel that sense of safety, can really start to shine and and use their voice and be creative and be problem solvers and be relational with others, um, cooperative with others, if they understand that this is what happens at this school. If something goes on, it gets repaired. If, if a mistake happens, it gets repaired, and that over and over again then reinforces that feeling of safety. And we also talk about boundaries, right? I th- believe if kids do not have boundaries, expectations, rules, um, that they feel less safe. Um, I don't think they'll ever tell us that and say, please put some boundaries on my life. But we as adults should know that um if there aren't any boundaries and there's just freedom in it, and that the freedom hasn't been earned by any means, that will create a feeling of anxiety and fear and feeling unsafe. I, I think trust uh, plays a part in this, right? Trusting that the repair will happen or being afraid that repair never happens. And anxious that, oh, if I make a mistake, it, it could be over. Because I, I know in this culture, if mistakes happen, nothing ever gets repaired. And, and everything just, you know, we just continue on in this state of, ooh, better not make a mistake. And you hear this, you know, you hear the phrase a lot, ah, oh, they... Just push it under the table. Uh, you know, ignoring these things. Here, Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson aren't saying ignore anything. They're saying repair, repair, repair. And, and you might have to do that numerous times. But they're certainly not saying push it under the table. They're saying repair it and address it. So that's the first S. The second S uh, focuses on kids feeling seen. Uh, In a big part of parenting, as it says in this book, is about simply showing up for our kids physically. So we attend their, you know, their plays, their athletic events. Um, and, and things like that. And that the quantity of time spent does matter. <laughs> of course it does. But seeing a child is more than just being physically present. So this is the part where it goes a little bit deeper. And this is about presence. You know, it, and it's about this word that I, I, I really like. Attuning to your child and what's going on inside of them. And... and 
really attuning our attention to their inner feelings, thoughts, memories, you know, what's going on in their minds beneath their behaviors is what this book is saying. So truly, I'm going to read this right out of the book too. Truly seeing a child means we pay attention to their emotions, both positive and negative. So it's not um, this obsessive, you know, over um, protective, you know, always in your child's face, trying to figure out what they're thinking and seeing. No, but that on a, on a pretty consistent uh, basis, we show up and we're present with our kid and we're attuned to what is happening inside them and out, outside of them, their behaviors. We're attuned to it all. And like I've said before, the, the key here is if you can kind of put your own anxieties and own, you know, be in the moment, then you can, then you can attune. But if your mind is constantly bouncing around or you're just like getting the kids ready for school and, and you never take time to give them, you know, your full attention, they'll start to pick up on that. So really trying to, to show up, be present so that they, they feel your connection, your attachment to them. They, they feel felt. And, and this is both, like I've said before in a couple of the past episodes, this is when if you're attuned, you can, you can kind of figure out what's necessary in this moment. What is my kid, you know, trying to communicate that they need? Is it a blanket? Is it a boundary? Um, but if you're not attuned, you won't know. It'll be a guessing game. And the kids will pick up on that as well. The next S is soothed. And uh, they explain that this doesn't mean to rescue your child from any pain or discomfort, you know, creating that bubble and always jumping to their, you know, to their side to put a Band-Aid on it or have them, you know, giggle and all that stuff, like look cute. <laughs> um, because these difficult moments, like we've, talked about before are moments where our kids learn quite a bit but this soothing is um about the kid should should never feel any doubt that you will be there even during the hard times um and this goes to like the idea of blankets um, how do we how are we there for them um, consistently when difficult times arise and allow them to learn but be soothed by our by our emotional blankets that we can provide them. You know, uh, 
someone once told me life is about how you how you ride the lows. And this is kind of that idea. How do we how do we let our children know that we're there to soothe them? But that we're not there to fix whatever the, the problem may be. And that they should know that you will always be there to be their blanket. And that if they're suffering some way, they'll never be alone. And so again, this isn't, this is never about ignoring, pushing aside what might be happening with your child. I often was told, hey, you're fine, suck it up, tough it out. No, this is about showing up in different ways. It's about, and showing up consistently so the child knows that you'll, you'll be there for them. And that you're not going to ignore difficulties. You're not going to just push aside suffering or pain. And I've said this before, I think initially if, you, if your child is suffering, sometimes words, it's not a time for words. You may get to that later. When I see kids who are in, in a crisis mode or dysregulated, we, we barely talk at all. But they know they're not alone. I still sit with them. I'm there to observe and be a witness to what they're feeling. And eventually, we will put words to what is happening or what had happened. But initially, it's just that they know you'll be there to soothe them. And sometimes not without words, but that you'll be there. You're not going to give up on them if they're, they're feeling a certain way. You'll show up. <laughs> the name of this book, what it means to show up. So those are the first three S's, or first, what do we do? I think three S's. Safe. Uh, what are the other ones? Seen and soothed. So now for the last S, we're going to be talking about secure. Again, um, these two authors talk about security, the fourth S, and it's just that predictability that you'll be there. Um, and, and when a child knows that you'll be there no matter what, then they can feel more secure. Now, I would add to these four S's this uh, boundary setting for kids. I, I believe that part of showing up is, you know, setting these boundaries that these kids know that um, there are limits and that the world and life isn't just this, you know, playground. That there are things that they need to do and there are things that aren't uh, appropriate things to do. 
And again, with those boundaries in place and that predictability, that consistency, that helps the child feel secure. So safe, seen, soothed, secure. The four S's. Safe, that they feel a sense of safety. So that fear and uh, and anxiety don't distract them from the moment so they can live in, in some peace and joy. You know, we, we talked about trauma in one of the episodes. What's happening with those children that have had many adverse childhood experiences is that they don't get this predictability. They don't feel safe consistently. They're hardly ever soothed. So they're, they're suffering alone. Um, and they're definitely not seen. You know, they're usually, there's a, a bit of neglect there. So these kids, their brains are constantly in fear. And they constantly don't know what's coming around the corner. Or they're walking on eggshells. And that toxic stress, that brain being in that state, consistently really can disrupt development. But what Daniel Siegel and and Tina Payne Bryson are basically saying is you have to show up. The kids have to know you will be there no matter what. To either make them feel safe, make them feel seen, soothe them, make them feel secure. And it's that consistency it's that ability to repair if mistakes happen. The relationship, restore the relationship. To be, to be soothed emotionally if, if your child is suffering, being able to sit with them and be by their side. And, and this idea of security, that predictability, the boundaries, the consistent boundaries. If we can apply these these four apply these four S's, then I think those those it, it's kind of like the anecdote to the adverse childhood experiences. And what this really breaks down to is this is on us, the adults. We're the adults. We're the ones who have to show up. These kids are born into this world and they don't know, you know, up from down. And if they don't have guardians that will show up, they're, you know, going to have a rough time. And the way they develop is going to be, you know, stilted in, in areas. So the title is The Power of Showing Up. There's power in this. When we're caring for children, there is power in showing up, being present. 
providing blankets and boundaries. And if we, you know, love our children, care for our children, we'll set our intention to be there for them. Or else our our anxieties will take us, you know, take us away. Here's a quote from the book. When parents consistently show up, their children's minds come to expect that the world is a place that can be understood and meaningfully interacted with. Even in times of trouble and pain, showing up thus creates in our kids neural pathways that lead to selfhood, grit, strength, and resilience. Is this what we want for our kids? It's what I want for my child and the children I work with. Working in education, I, I often see the blame game happen. Like it's the teacher's fault. They, they're the ones who, you know, can't control the classroom. They're not engaging enough. It's the parents' fault. These kids are coming to school. They've never been told no. They're out of control. It's the administration's fault. They're not sure what they're doing. They're focused on all this other stuff that's not very important. It's their fault. And on and on and on, it just passed the buck. Passed the blame. Make an excuse why that child doesn't like me or isn't listening to me or, man, their behavior stinks. Have you ever been in a teacher's lounge? Oh, boy. You know, it's a lot of this blame game, complaining. Instead of how, what can I do to uh, be the best, you know, parent, social worker, teacher that I can be, administrator I can be? Is the focus on me? Or is the focus on the kids? Am I, are the kids seeing through me or can I see through the kids? Am I connecting with the kids? Am I honest with the kids? Am I genuine? What can I do? Instead of, man, it's their fault. I have nothing to do with this. If we can kind of... (laughs) There's all these different mindsets nowadays, but if we can get into the mindset where we're more self-reflective, more vulnerable, um, and more willing to ask, what, how am I responsible? How am I contributing to the chaos? What can I do differently? If we can get ourselves into that mindset, I, I think... You, you may be more effective. You you may have more time on your hands to actually focus on what's important. Um, because it takes a lot of energy to blame others, and it takes uh, and it and it's pretty fruitless. Nothing usually changes. 
um, but it takes up a lot of mind space, worry, anxiety, blame, excuses. And if, if we can change some of our internal beliefs and, and set our attentions on showing up, I think we 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 might actually see some you know some actual changes that that may make a difference. You may you may start to understand um, the kids that you're caring for. You may under start to understand that the times that they're growing up in, and the, and the specific and unique challenges that they face today. Um, the very first episode I talked about Father Gregory Boyle. Um, and he, he has chosen not to really, you know, come up with a curriculum or replicate his gang intervention program. He, he feels like that would be hard to do because it's very unique to the, who he is and, and the people he works with and, and his, his approach. And that we, we all need to kind of get to that place on our own. It's not as easy as reading a book, um, reading a curriculum, going through the curriculum step by step. It, there's another quote that I, I really love and it's like, um, pray, um, as if you're, you're placing the words on your heart over and over again until the words sink in. We can learn from books. We can learn from going to school. Um, but until we, we consistently practice and put some of these values on our heart over and over and over again, do they then become to sink in and become who we are? Where you don't have to read a book about the power of showing up, you just show up. So this is the end of season one of Blankets and Boundaries. I've done these episodes for my doctorate program at Aurora University. And I'm really looking forward to season two when I have um, more time, probably after my dissertation is written, um, to explore some of these things again, some of these ideas from some of these wonderful, inspiring people. It'll, it'll always be a passion of mine to work with young people, but every day I'm learning something different. They're wonderful teachers. I learn from them every day. So thank you for listening to these episodes and I look forward to creating season two at some point. So take care everyone and I'll see you soon.